0: Change. You notice a change? Yeah? Boo! It's funny. So, uh, so I put it on Facebook and, uh, you know, to shave or not to shave? That is the question. I, and I never, thought, I never thought I'd do these because they bug me. These Facebook and Instagram, you know, vote yes, vote no, you know. So I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I decided to do this. Uh, and change is interesting. I voted against popular opinion, which made me laugh. But change, whether we see it as good or bad, wanted or unwanted, you know, rarely is good or bad or wanted or unwanted. Most people, actually, when it comes down to it, say that they want change. We say we want change, but we really like it when it actually happens. And uh, I'm pretty sure all of us at some level are dealing with change. All of us, at some level, are dealing with change. And uh, there are five emerging trends. I decided to do some uh, research on the net, and I found five emerging trends in our Canadian culture that are changing us. And the first one is uh, our fast-growing immigrant communities. And so Canada is, is, is fast becoming a blending of a worldwide cultures, multiculturalism without integration, which is interesting. Uh, we have become this rainbow nation of diverse cultures, and you see it when you go to these, like Toronto, Vancouver, even our own downtown, we see this taking place. The other aspect that's affecting our culture as Canadians is e-commerce, and the advancements in technology are changing, and they're actually reshaping consumer behaviors, specifically in the Canadian market. I'm not going to go into that, but that's what's going on. And then, believe it or not, there's this thing called i-gaming. Now, how many here, you're iGamers, you're on your phones, you're playing games? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone no. I mean, it's actually taken off in Canada, and it's a fast emerging market throughout our nation. And uh, the, the other thing is, is that the Canadian health and well-being sector has taken off. And this is interesting as well, because according to studies, a third of Canadians, a third of us, are prepared to pay a premium for health-enhancing products. You want to make money, make health-enhancing products. And so there's a shift in our culture towards a wellness and a, more Canadians getting active, a new fitness culture is developing within Canada with health monitoring and commitment uh, or... Uh, Uh, equipment, we have our mobile apps that we can take with us. And all of this stuff is actually more prevalent than ever before in our culture. And here's the final one. Here's the kicker. Did you know that soccer in Canada is the most popular sport in terms of overall participation? Isn't that crazy? Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say it that way, but it should be hockey. But it, it's soccer. That's that's how we're moving. You notice when you walked in, there was change. You notice how we, if you came a little bit earlier, there was change. There's, th- there's things that are just going on. Sometimes we adapt to it well, sometimes we don't. And I would suspect that every one of you could tell um, uh, the fact that we've all woken up to change in one way or another. For those of you who remember 9-11, that was change, right? uh, uh for some of us it was the biggest change in our lives the way that we would do business the way that we would travel everything else like that maybe for some of us it's regarding our health uh, our relationships our investments right we've all gotten up the next morning wondering maybe what just happened you know what do I do now you ever have that something happens the night before you wake up the next day it's like well what do I do now sometimes it was a change we wanted and other times it's It's change that we never wished or that we never wanted. Sometimes, you know, we wake up and we experience change and it's positive and it's good. It's it's a good thing. Other times, it's painful. It's a loss of something or something that we valued or maybe something that we wanted. And so whether or not we see it as good or bad, desired or unwanted, change always comes with consequences, change comes with challenges, and change comes with questions. And I suspect that every one of you could tell stories about the changes that maybe you have gone through or are currently experiencing in your life right now, or maybe changes that you hope for. This is something I, I want to see. Or maybe changes that you fear happening, the fear of the unknown. And, you know, how do we live in the midst of change? And what can we hold on to when it seems that the world around us or within us is changing? And I wonder if the disciples in our text today, in Matthew chapter 17, would be asking the same type of questions, because they're feeling the wind of change blowing where they find themselves. And here's why I say that. You know, amongst us doing our series, we always go back to Matthew until we eventually will finish this book, but that's where we are today, and uh, my, my topic gets to be the transfiguration. Like, you got to be kidding me. Usually that's what you make the other guys preach, because it's so difficult, but... You know, to be honest, it's not a passage that we go to or we actually think much about. We don't talk about the transfiguration, do we? We don't really do that. We read on. We think, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. And then we pass on, oh, look at Jesus, you know, set a demon-possessed boy free. There we go. Let's move on to that. That's more exciting. And yet, I look at this passage of Scripture that we're going to delve into today, and I think that there's a lot for us to draw out of it, and that we can draw from these events in life and ministry of Jesus And what it means to him, what it means to the disciples, and what it means to us. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that speaks to us about you, about your truth, about the gospel of your Son, that speaks to us of things that we would never figure out on our own, that speaks to us of life. Now open our eyes, open our hearts. And indeed, help us to do the good work of turning aside every stray thought, every distraction during this morning. Let our hearts be good soil to receive the word implanted by you, to leave it there and to then go out and produce fruit. Fruit in keeping with the truth of Jesus. Hear us, Father, as we make our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew 17. Open your iPhones, pull up that scripture, and have it in front of you. Jesus is ta- ta- taking Peter, he's taking James, he's taking John. just three of his disciples. He's taking them up on a mountain. Uh, and, and, and something out of the natural, something spectacular, something crazy is about to take place you've maybe heard the experiences uh, the, the the phrase mountaintop experiences we, we have these mountain top experiences well this is what's going on here it's often used to describe those monumental experience in our in our lives uh, maybe in, in moments of faith uh, uh, things that are instrumental in shaping who we are are pivotal in some respects in our understanding of who God is. We have these mountain top experiences. Generations have celebrated those moments and and cherishing them and longing for more and we do we want to go back to those times we want to go back maybe it was a youth camp maybe it was some sort of uh, 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 service or gathering that you were at maybe it was a speaker you've had an encounter we want to go back to them and some people actually go on to these pilgrimages and to find them. Sometimes they go to literal mountaintops all around the world to have some sort of experience. And these experiences, they, they dot the topographical maps of, uh, of our faith. Uh, and we see them as, in our journey as something that is tangible, something that is palatable in the moments of our lives. It was real. It was life-changing. It was earth-shattering. It was shaking to our core, however you describe them. Strange things, though, happen on the tops of mountains when we read Scripture. This is where we find ourselves. The Bible says, when you're reading, the Bible says somebody's going up on the mountain... Look at man, something's about to happen. We see that throughout all of Scripture. And at the mountaintop, the travelers usually have this all-encompassing God who surrounds them. We sang about that earlier today, isolating them from the world as they know it, offering them guidance and and words of direction and comfort. And it, it, it all goes out there. We look in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Moses. You know, God comes in this fiery cloud of splendor. He provides that foundation on which the Israelites were to build their lives. The Ten Commandments. It happens on a mountaintop. Those tablets of stone that, that contain the laws and the commandments. You keep on reading throughout the Old Testament. You come to First Kings chapter 19. Again, Mount Carmel. In front of a crowd of people. Elijah, he challenges the prophets of Baal. They, they basically have this... this, this uh, this fight going off, this, this challenge. And Elijah demonstrates for all to see that Baal is not a god at all, but he serves the, the only living true god. And of course, Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab at the time, the one who was responsible for bringing in the, the worship of this foreign god, uh, she's now exposed as a fraud because her prophets all lose. And she sends a messenger to Elijah to let him know that she's put a contract on his life. So he panics, and he's depressed, and he's terrified, and he runs, and God sends him to Mount Sinai. He says, go there, wait for me, and uh, stand basically in the same place where Moses was, and Elijah stands there, and it's cool. If we read the scriptures, it says this, and behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind, rent the mountains, and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Now, you got to imagine, here this guy is sitting here in these mountains, and there's this wind, and there's this earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, was it lightning? not sure. But there was a demonstration of power, and the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a still, small voice. A mountaintop experience. And each of the stories that we look at in the Old Testament, the individuals experience a radical transformation. They meet with God, something happens. Moses returns. Scripture tells us his face is a shining complexion. It ref- almost reflects the very face of God, so to speak. Elijah hears the voice of God in a whisper, and after witnessing that demonstration of power, he is totally encouraged that God is with him, and he goes out and he connects with a a young man that he's going to now train to be in the prophetic ministry. Now we read with Jesus here in Matthew that Jesus is transfigured, the Bible says, before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became like as uh, light. And so that Greek word there, transfigured, is well known by us. We use it sometimes, mostly in biology, but it's metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from there, the word that that describes a complete change of form and substance. And so, for example, you know, we use it to describe uh, changing from a caterpillar to a butterfly, but here we have a complete change in the appearance and form of Jesus. We don't spend a lot of time on this because it's weird. We don't understand it. And so he pass over it, and this his appearance or his form is changed in the presence of his disciples. And so it's being documented, it's being written, and it's not just in Matthew, we see it in a couple of other Gospels, but he's now brighter than light, and he's revealing his true glory to these other three, his three closest buddies. And scripture goes on and it says this, it says... Uh, um, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with... Now, not only is Jesus sort of lit up, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up on the scene. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good we're here. you got to think country hick sound. Now, if you're country hick, you get it. Now, here it is. So, if you wish, he goes on, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's still speaking when this is coming out of his mouth. And behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, and we've heard this before, we've read about this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. (laughs) When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. They were terrified. Why? Because they heard the voice of God just booming out. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw... No one but Jesus only. So something was taking place. They, it was visual. It was audible. Next thing you know, they're face down on the ground. And Jesus says, hey, get up. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. If we go back in Matthew, we see that Jesus took time. With the disciples, with Peter, John, and James, before he goes up the mountain, and he tells them and the others that he needs to suffer and die and be resurrected on the third day. As a matter of fact, he's saying this quite a bit to them, but it's not registering. So Jesus is being kind of a Debbie Downer with his best buddies. And now, in the time that they probably need encouragement, they're probably thinking, Jesus says, i got to suffer, i got to die, but I'll be resurrected on the third day. They're having a problem with the concept of the resurrection, understanding the suffering and die, but they're just not putting it together. They needed some sort of encouragement. And so this amazing experience actually takes place, and it's documented. It's a mountaintop experience. You know, we read that God appears... Uh, to, to the three in a cloud. He speaks in this thundering voice as the same voice at Jesus' baptism that declared his divinity and his authority. Jesus is seen with a, a similar shining face, dazzling clothes, like something was there that was almost indescribable. And the physical changes in part is what has earned the title of the passage of Scripture, the transfiguration. And it signifies that in the story, things change not in small, subtle ways, but in transforming ways that literally alter our very appearance. And some of you today, you need to hear that hope. Some of you today need to hear this. You need to hear things change. You understand that? Some of us come, we need to have hope. We need to hear that things can and do change. And the transfiguration, it prompts us to consider those life-changing experiences, even in our own lives. The mountaintop moments in which we too have experienced God, or perhaps those times when we've been like the disciples, where we're observers. You ever been in that place where you observe the mountaintop moments of others in ways that have inspired or even changed you? And I get to see that. I I get to see that with our young people. You don't see it, but I creep you guys out. Many times social media, other things, but I creep you out and I see the change. I can go up on a Friday night. I can look through a window. Nobody knows what's going on, but I can see a passion, a change. Sunday morning, I can see these hands raised in passion and change. And I get motivated that God is beginning to do something in the up-and-coming generations. For me, when it comes to thoughts of change and inspiration, and how I've been inspired by others changing, my thoughts immediately go to all the different types of people around the world that I've had the privilege and honor of being introduced to in Indonesia, and in Ecuador, and Russia, and Ukraine. My first trip to Russia was back in 1991. The Soviet Union was in a major financial crisis, and the Communist Party promoted a set of policies regarding the reconstruction of both the political and the economic system. It was called perestroika or glasnos, uh, depending on which side you're on. This is your history lesson for today. And so basically what happened is that the Soviet Union, being in trouble, opens its doors to the West, And so we as pastors were able to go now to the former close behind the iron curtain, the doors are now open, and we were able to go and we were able to bring with us free Bibles, to hand out Bibles, literature about Jesus. We were able to preach openly without any fines, without any prosecution or any persecution. It was what it was. And it was an eye-opening experience. And I remember immediately for me falling in love with a culture, with a language that was so strange that I grew up with. But it was strange, and I fell in love all over again. The sights, the sounds, and most importantly, the people, and the ministry, and the heart, and the passion of the believers that were there. Some Christians began to consider how they could be faithful to Jesus Christ in a continent where the majority of the population actually suffered from poverty and social exclusion. And they did that in the face of corruption and persecution. And I'm so touched by the energy and the enthusiasm of the, uh, by the, the ministry at that time. And I, I jumped at the chance to serve the best that I could. And being able to teach and to preach is one thing, but to experience worship, maybe in a language that I don't understand, but worship with other believers, worshiping and watching them worship with their whole being. And many times it was an indescribable moment, it was a holy moment. I'll never forget, never forget. In one of the towns that we were in, they sent out a team of young people ahead of us. And the young people would stand on the corners and they would sing songs, they'd do poetry, they would invite people to hear the Canadians in the theater that they would rent, they come and preach and come to hear about Jesus, come to hear about God. And again, you're talking a close, close country at the time. And every, every place we went to, there was not a seat available. And I'll never forget being coming back and we came back to a, the local church and we, we sat with the young people and uh, we did communion together. And I watched, I watched them weep when they were doing communion. And how they looked at the price that was paid for them. And their passion and everything else just oozed. And I'll tell you, that was a holy moment that I watched from an outside. That, that, that was life transforming for me. Never mind them. And do you, have you had any of those moments of which I speak? Have you Those holy moments when the presence of God is so rich and so thick and so tangible. Whatever word you want to use to describe it, so life-changing. And, and, and I, I think back of our times going back, and, 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 and each day is literally filled with moments where I can see God's hand at work. Hearing stories on how the church survived under persecution. Listening to people who who traveled hours, even days, just so that they could sit and learn together in the same room. Seeing how genuinely excited that others were about the opportunity to deepen their understanding of the Bible, to deepen their understanding of the church. Many were already serving as pastors, and some for years without any formal education. One man through an interpreter recounted on how the water cannons came into their gathering, into their church service, and started shooting water at the congregation to break them up. They would gather in the forest. The secret police would come with their water cannons. The whistle would go off, and they would now know that they're all in trouble. They now know as a church they've been exposed, and what they would do is they'd take the women and children, and they would push them into the center to protect them. The men would then stand on the outside with their backs to the cannons, lock arms, just to protect the women. Nothing deterred the church from gathering, even when their pastors were beaten and arrested. We gathered with a group of women in Ecuador. And many of these women knew all too well the harsh realities of domestic abuse. You know, all of them had the, the, those experiences with this strong machismo culture, right? That, that largely values women more as property and possessions than as people. And they spoke of what it meant to them to be able to actually read the Bible and to know God's love and and that God's love was meant for them. And as women, you could see their faces change. They, they, they started to have this sparkle in their eyes. They had grown into women who were now empowered, who could claim that they too were beloved children of God. And those faces, they, they're always there, and they remind me of those who have returned to that mountaintop, shining and bright, for they too have experienced God. In our text, in verse seven, or in our text, Peter says, "You know, Lord, it, it's good for us to be here. That's <laughs> a good thing, God. Yeah, it's really good." And I felt this same way many a time, because I've sat and I've heard, you know, with other believers, I've heard stories of hope and of, of, of visions for what God might have in the horizon. And I took my place around the tables in other nations, to hear others talk on how we can best share this hope of Jesus with the nation in which they find themselves. And all of these conversations, all of these moments are a sense of sacred. They're holy moments. They're ones where you just pause and you're speechless. It's good for me to be here. And you recognize that you're in the presence of God with new friends and old friends. It's amazing. And I can go on with stories. And it seems that almost every one of my trips are surrounded by the illustrations of God's presence. And overwhelming and in, in the best of ways, realizing that God meets us on the mountaintops. And for me, this is the joy of being transported into another culture and, and world. It strips away all those things that can entrap me from the truly encountering God on a daily basis and those moments happen of course sometimes in mundane ways but my rhythm of life is so different and then I'm forced to notice and to reflect on things that are new and time, time it seems to slow down for a bit even when you have a full schedule of activities and I'm more aware of the swirl of colors and sounds and sights and smells that infiltrate my senses and you, you just see what's going on and I admit it's always hard to leave when the time comes. As much as I miss my family at home I, and I actually miss my own personal regular routine, that's a whole other story. There's something that goes on. There's something that goes on. I enjoy being on that mountaintop. A sense of serenity, a sense of peace. Something that I always want to hold on to. And I think that's what happens to us when we have our mountaintop experiences. In these places, the weight of the world seems to lessen. Even if we go away to camp, right, for a bit you know what I'm talking about, it's the weight of the world just sort of seems to lessen for a bit, and we're almost freer to experience something new, on top of the mountain, there we are, the disciples, they're alive, they get it, they're wide open, they're caught up with a cloud, and they're surrounded by God's grace, they're surrounded by God's glory, no doubt they recognize the figures, Moses and Elijah, we see that, pivotal figures of authority and faith. Who wants to leave that? And peters he's quick to respond. You know, let's build tents. Let's camp. Yeah, let's have it. Just a little bit longer, basically. But the mountaintop experiences are not meant to stay on the mountain. Peter wants to hold on to the moment. He's distracted. He actually, they're terrified when we read the scriptures. I don't even think Peter really knows what he's saying because he's probably so terrified what's going on around him, but he, he doesn't want to let go what's happening at the same. It's kind of, you know, that's that twisted relationship. You're terrified, but no, I can't know. I, I, no, I you're stuck there. He's never seen anything like it. And I can understand that. Like you could un- Who couldn't understand that? Who would want to leave the glimpse of the glory of heaven and you know, who of us would actually just want to slip away? No, we would try to be holding on to it. We, we would, you know, we're trying to grasp it. We're trying to keep it. You don't want to let that moment go. And the reality of it, if we were to time this, I don't think that there was a whole lot of time here. Maybe not even an hour's moment of time. That's me guessing that's it when you're reading the Scripture. And no sooner than this is all done, than Jesus is now leading those three disciples back down off the mountain. And where are they going? They walk into the realities of a fallen world. They have this mountaintop experience, they begin to walk back down. And they're reminded that they're in a fallen world real quickly. There's a demon to cast out that reminds them of the reality of daily spiritual warfare. Their friends are frantic because their friends realize that they're insufficient. If you keep reading, you'll know what I'm talking about. They, they, they're faced with this need to understand that prayer is, is work. It's, it's much more work than what we want to put into it. And there's a lot of labor that we, that's required for us to do. And if you keep reading in Matthew 17, you'll notice they're coming off this mountaintop. Not only is this issue with the demon-possessed boy, but there's also this issue with the lack of faith and prayer. But then there's also this other issue, this nagging, persistent unbelief that's always there. Causing us to ask the questions, is this, like, real? Grim realities, hard realities real living that pushes the thoughts of the mountaintop far, far away. And what happened, maybe, maybe that really didn't happen. Maybe that was just a dream. Because now we're walking in reality again. But I want you to see this. That's the point of the transfiguration. Life in the world as we live it every day is not the whole story. Are you tracking with me on this? There's reality beyond what we see or recognize, and I'll say this, it's glory beyond all words. In the Chronicle of Narnia series, C.S. Lewis places the Christ figure, Aslan, on the top of a mountain for his final words, and he says this, he says, Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. But here on the mountain, the air is clear, your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look. But when you meet them, uh, when you meet them there, that is why it's so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearance. Remember the signs And believe the signs because nothing else matters. And on the mountaintop, God gives us signs. He gives us the inspiration to go into the journey ahead. And it's change, people. It's change. And this is why mountaintop experiences are so important. They help us prepare for the journey ahead. Most of us have had mountaintop experiences and can testify to the importance of them in our lives. But all of us have had to return to the valley of the shadow. And it's at both places and all those places in between that Jesus is there. And he's reaching out to raise us to life again. The mountaintop prepares us by reminding that we are, we are never far from God's presence. To be honest with you, I want our Sunday morning experiences to be a mountaintop experience every week. Not created, not fabricated, but God showing up in people's lives. And maybe one day it's the encounter I have, or maybe it's the day that I can turn to my left or to my right and witness the encounter that somebody else is going through to be encouraged You know, we're never, we're never far from God's presence, and even when we leave the mountaintop, the beauty is, is that God is with us. God sends us into this world, and, and just as God, he sent Moses, and he sent Elijah, and he sent Jesus, and he sent his disciples, Aslan's words indicate that these mountaintop moments are just the beginning. In fact, we might look at them as our own commissioning, so to speak, for once we have been to the mountain, were transformed, and then the real work of living begins. So remember, you know, immediately before Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up the mountain, he tells them and the others that he has to suffer, die, and and be resurrected the third day. He'll tell them again when they come down from the mountain. He reminds them again, where he left off before. He reminds them again. And what happened on the mountain took place between Jesus' two statements of impending change. Maybe that transfiguration story here has something to teach us and show us about how to live in the midst of change. Change, whether on the mountaintop of life or in the valley of the shadow of death, it's a reality for all of us. You know, again, what... What Peter, James, and John saw was the glory of Christ. It was just a taste. It was just a moment. And it was presented to them in a way that they could actually comprehend, even though they were still mind-blown. And God has a way of doing that. God has a way of reaching out. To us in that way, and we find it throughout the pages of the Old Testament where he would visit his people in some sort of fashion. You know, he's never as he is in himself, but he's in in, in and he appears in a way that they can comprehend and understand, even though it's still possibly terrifying. What I mean by this is we saw that with Abraham, God was God being one of the three visitors that visits Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. You can read it up on your own self. Joshua stood before the commander of the armies of the Lord, the pre incarnate. Jesus appears to him, veiled in a form that he could understand his presence. Certainly, you know, Gideon, the angel of the Lord who visited Gideon, You know, Gideon's hiding and having this conversation. There are times when God comes to his people in a fashion that is something that we can endure, that we can understand, something that we can comprehend. Are we open to seeing and hearing that? And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's giving his friends a glimpse, a taste of the boundless glory that he is, something that they can comprehend, something that they can endure and also be pushed by. One of the things that I'm aware of in the midst of change is how many voices begin to speak to us. Ask a question whether you should shave or not. There's a whole lot of voices. You know, some are, some are the voices that are outside of me, obviously, but what about the voices inside of us? You know, there are the voices of the, the commentators chirping about what's happening and what should be done. The voices of maybe judgment the voices of second-guessing, the voices of fear, the voices of self-doubt, the voices of self-criticism, you know, the would-have, should-have, could-haves, right? Some of the voices tell us to run and hide. Others tell us to fight and to resist. Some voices questions their questions. Some voices want explanations. Others deny what's happening. Others blame or declare it just to be the end of the world. There's so many voices that cry out for our attention, is there not? And not every voice, however, is helpful or even worth listening to. Some voices may sound sweet, but they're not good for us. The story of the transfiguration uh, says there's only one voice to be listened to. And the voice of God speaks from this bright cloud. and, And Peter, James, and John, they hear it. And what do they hear? They hear this. This is my son, the beloved. With him I'm well pleased. And he says, A beautiful little sentence he says listen to him so what if in the midst of change we we sought to hear and listen to only one voice the voice of Christ what if we kept our ears open to what he's saying in our life and and in our world today to to let ourselves become aware of Of and attentive to what he's saying and to what he's doing and and to let his concerns and Jesus' desires become our concerns and our desires to let his way of engaging life in the world become our way of engaging life in the world. What if? And that means that whatever change would come upon us wouldn't have the final word. There's another voice, and Jesus is always speaking a word louder and, and, and larger and more powerful than all the other voices. And maybe in the midst of change, maybe whatever change you find yourself, Jesus is speaking words of life. He's speaking words of hope. He's speaking words of forgiveness. Maybe it's a word of mercy. Maybe it's a word of beauty. Maybe it's a word of generosity. Maybe it's a word of courage. Maybe it's a word of love. Maybe it's a word of healing. But Jesus speaks a word for you and me. And are we listening to that word? Are we listening to his voice? And I suspect that we've all faced change that has caused us to stumble or fall, maybe even paralyze us, or, or maybe something's happening and you're just totally overwhelmed. Again, this is not about whether the change is perceived as good, as bad, or wanted or under It's about regaining our balance. And getting our feet back underneath us, it's about stepping into new life when we're not sure what that looks like or, or if there, there really is new life waiting ahead of us. It's taking that step of faith. You know, the three disciples, they fell to the ground. They're overcome by fear. Jesus touches them says, get up. And it's more, actually, it's more than just get up. It's the literal translation is, is actually, be raised up. Be aroused from your sleep of death, basically, is what it said. He, even resurrected. And again, Matthew uses that very specific word throughout the gospel. Be raised. Not just get up. Be raised up. And so Jesus comes to us in whatever circumstances have changed that we find ourselves. He touches us. And he says, look, get up. Be raised. Maybe that's the hope you need to hear this morning. It's the promise that, that life has changed. It's not ended It's change. And somehow new life is hidden in that midst of change, that metamorphosis. And even when we cannot see it or do not believe it, God uses the changing circumstances of our lives and the world to bring us into new life. And I'm not suggesting that God directly causes change to come upon us. I'm suggesting that God never wastes a chance to draw new life out of us. And most of us, I suspect, live with some sort of fear, because change often brings about fear, fear of losing what we love, fear of v- losing value, fear of desire. Sometimes it's the fear that comes along with getting what we want. Now what do I do? And so in the midst of change, Jesus says, don't be afraid, and he speaks to the heart of the human condition. There are words that we need to hear that when we are raised up back on our feet. Maybe that's what you need this morning. And his words don't magically eliminate our fear. No, instead they are a call to take that first step into a new and changed life, despite of, or in spite of fear. They are the assurance, you know. Once again, that change does not have the final word. Jesus does. And we're not called to be fearless, but to be courageous in the midst of change. And in the midst of fear. So this morning, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what changes you're dealing with. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's about your health or your age or your physical or mental well-being. Maybe it's about your concerns with work or your job or your income. Maybe it's a dream or it's plans that simply haven't worked out and you're crushed. Maybe life is going exactly the way you want. Maybe you're on the road to recovery. Maybe... You're in a good spot in that way. Maybe everything has fallen in place for the first time and you actually felt alive. Listen to him. Be raised up and don't be afraid. What if those words are actually the holy wisdom for the times of change? Jesus wasn't the only one who changed on the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John did. Maybe their eyes were opened, and their seeing changed. Listen to him. Be raised up. Don't be afraid. And what if those words are holy wisdom for the times of change? Jesus wasn't the only one who changed on the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John, they did. Their eyes were open. They were changed. They were changed. I don't know why God does the things he does. I don't know why God takes time to answer people's prayer requests. I don't know why sometimes our requests are not fully answered. Perhaps God wants to stretch out our faith a little bit, or perhaps we'll never know. But one thing I do know for sure is that God wants us to trust Him more and more. That God wants us to believe that our current trials that we find ourselves are only momentary. You have to believe that when you ultimately see the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. He's telling His boys way ahead of time, and it finally comes through, it finally happens. He has many promises for us throughout Scripture, and they still stand. We sang about that this morning. Great is his faithfulness to us again. And I think that that's what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. Not the transfiguration, but the resurrection. That things that are dead are going to become alive again, and that gives us hope. It gives us hope in a world of change, and sometimes we need those mountaintop experiences to be reminded of that. And not because there's this natural reason to believe it, but because there's a supernatural God who loves us enough to give us the gift of life. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, Jerry, I, I don't even know if I'm right with God. Well, well, you're here. And maybe all you need to actually do is you know, hit the spiritual reset button. And I think it's actually very simple. So simple enough that if you need to to hit the spiritual reset button with God. This is what I'm going to simply ask all of you to do. Everybody pull out your phones. Got your phone on you? Pull out your phone. So now everybody's on their phone, so there's no, there's no excuse. But you're going to notice very quickly that uh, on the wall, if you, you want more of who this Jesus is. You want You have questions. You have doubts. You have concerns. You have prayer requests. Whatever it be. You take out your phone, and when I am praying, you simply text the word soul to the number that's on the screen. That's how you do. We will contact you personally. There it is. We want to pray with you. We want to answer your questions. We want to walk with you. We're not going to creepy stalk you. I can guarantee you that. But we're simply saying in a digital age, in a digital world, we're saying we care about your spiritual well-being, and I want you to know that in a safe way that somebody will respond to you personally. I don't care if you're angry. I don't care if you're hurt. I don't care if you're speechless. We want to be there for you and do our best to walk with you. This is the type of God we serve. He's going to show up where you're at. And he's going to do what he does. Will you bow your heads? Well, actually, before we do that, can we sing the bridge of that last chorus that you did? Can you just, as you're sitting here, can we just... Reaffirm. So a lot of our songs are affirmations. They're reaffirming things that we already believe. And many times we need, as we sing in corporate worship, we need to be reminded of these things. There's one thing about proclamation, how great is our God. But there's a whole other thing about affirmation, who He is in our lives and how we see Him. I'm going to pray. If you need us to reach out to you, it's simply text the word soul. We'll do it may not be today, it will sure be tomorrow. Let's pray. Greater God, we cannot begin to imagine all that you are, all that you've done for us, and each day is a new chance, a chance to put behind all that we were, to look ahead to all that we can be. And so, Father, maybe it is time that we stop trying to put everything into your hands and to use the two you gave me. Thank you for the blessings that you have added to our lives. Forgive me, God, for complaining and grumbling about maybe things I don't have and help me to focus my heart of, of, of what is good and what's going on in our life. I know all things come from you. Will you take what is good and what is bad and make them work together? Father, just help us to believe when it's hard. Help us to trust when it's difficult. Help us to see that you are guiding us every step of the way. And Jesus, forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we might experience your power starting today and for the rest of our life. God, help us with a mountaintop experience to be prepared when we descend into the valley. knowing that there's always going to be another place where you're going to reveal yourself. Why don't you stand with me, please? In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. So sanctuary, go into the world in peace. Have courage this week and hold on to what is good and return no evil for evil especially on our highways. Encourage and support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor everyone. Love and serve the Lord and rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit is my blessing on you today. Amen and be blessed. And next week we talk about kids.